1: On round two, Robert Benzi is here, Queen's Park Bureau Chief for the Toronto Star. Pavan Brach is a serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, and real estate development, also part-time farmer. Sunira Chaudhry is an employment lawyer at Workley Law. Good morning to everyone. And actually, as a sort of change of pace, why don't we start by talking about trees? I'm not going to ask you what kind of a tree you would like to be. But uh, Sunira, we were talking with a transportation activist earlier in the hour who was denouncing the fact that MetroLink seems to be uh, fast-tracking the destruction of five allegedly historic trees at Queen's Park, uh, not at Queen's Park actually at um, uh, Osgood Hall. You being a lawyer, I guess you may even know these trees.
0: I know these trees very well, John. I mean, Osgood Hall—if you haven't visited even the grounds of Osgood Hall, uh, right at sort of, Queen and 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 York—it's really the only sort of Beautiful park in the downtown core. Um, Mature trees are certainly uh, at a premium in downtown Toronto. So the reason for Metrolinx also to be getting rid of these trees is for the expansion of, uh, I think, a subway line. But if there is one place to sort of preserve, it is Osgoode Hall. It is where the Court of Appeal of Ontario is. It's where, you know, every newly called lawyer goes to It is a beautiful place. The grounds are beautiful. It should absolutely be preserved at all costs.
1: I'm actually surprised these trees don't already have their own private council. Uh, Brach people will argue in the other direction, which is, okay, dudes, if we're going to build transportation that'll give millions of rides a year, then a few trees are going to have to give way.
2: Yeah, no, 100%. Trees heal. We know that. It's scientifically proven. It's a beautiful part of Toronto and, and I have fond memories of it. Surely in this day and age we can find a way to, to create, uh, you know, uh, plant new mature trees and get it going uh, quickly. We can do, if we can, if we can skate in Dubai, we can certainly find a way to do this.
1: Okay, Robert Benzi. it's not like, oh, well, if we can't take these trees out, then we can't build the Ontario line. The assertion is that we could just build it differently.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I and I don't understand the haste with which Metrolinx wants to dispatch with these trees, these five 200-year-old trees. And, and like Sonera, I love Osgoode Hall. I've spent many a uh, day covering stories there and, and love the, the, the cafeteria there. Uh, we used to go with our late friend Christy Blatchford to lunch there. And it's it's a it's a lovely part of downtown Toronto. And when they were building New City Hall in the 1960s, they managed to build around a lot of these trees. There's some famous pictures of Osgoode Hall standing, you know, with next to this, you know, uh, lunar man- uh, landscape beside it when they were building New City Hall, and they managed to do it then. I don't know why they can't do it now. Right now, uh, they're building a new um, entrance to Museum Subway Station just north of my office at Queen's Park and in the, in, the, in the actual place that's called Queen's Park, and they're managing not to chop down any trees there, so I'm not really sure why this has to be happening now and why they can't engineer a way around this. At the inquiry into the declaration
1: of the Emergencies Act, yesterday yesterday, the director of CSIS, David Vigneault, uh, kind of changed the game in many ways under questioning about what he had advised the government on February 13th. Well, the lawyer read it out and then asked if he agreed with that or remembered it. Mr. Vigneault stated that at the end of, Feb- of the February 13th IRG meeting, following the discussion of the Emergencies Act, he was asked by the Prime Minister to provide an opinion as to whether he supported the invocation of the Emergency Act. Mr. Avignon explained that based on both his understanding that the Emergencies Act definition of threat to the security of Canada was broader than the CSIS Act, as well as based on his opinion of everything he had seen to that point, he advised the Prime Minister of his belief that it was indeed required to invoke the Act. And again, you remember saying that during the closed session? Yes. Okay. Um, Robert Benzie, I'll start with you on this one, because you've probably been following this stuff fairly closely, in spite of the fact that it's not at Queen's Park. Um, That sort of, I mean, I saw it on Twitter, and I thought, well, that changes things quite significantly. I realize the inquiry's not over, but that's the first time we've heard that the Prime Minister and Cabinet were solemnly informed by the Director of Canada's Intelligence Organization that they needed the Emergencies Act.
3: I agree, John, and I think that was a game-changing day at, at the Emergencies Act inquiry. And I think this will be a—it's the final week, and we're going to hear from the Prime Minister later this week. And and I think, I think it's going to justify to if you're the Prime Minister, you're going to say this is what justifies my decision. Can you imagine if he ignored uh, the head of CSIS? I mean, this was a three and a half week protest that had uh, blockaded the capital city of a G7 nation in Paris, John. That they, they would have fired tear gas on them after the first day and they would have dragged their trucks into the sand. So this is this. Hold
1: I- on a sec. We're having, unfortunately, a bad connection. And I know for people listening, it's probably going to drive them crazy. So uh, Nick, you can work that out with Robert Benzi. but we heard most of what he wanted to bring to the party. Uh Sunira, again, you know, Jerry Agar on round one was sort of accusing the feds of burying the lead. Like if they had this recommendation from CSIS, why didn't they just say it to begin with? And we still have to have these hearings, but we'd be in a different place.
0: Yeah, it's really weird, John, that this is coming out right at sort of the tail end of the public inquiry. We know that these were, in large part, a lot of this information came out in camera, meaning not in in, in the public forum. So we're only learning about it now. And it's curious that a broader definition of national security um, is, in fact, what was accepted by CSIS in order to invoke the Emergencies, uh, the Emergency Act and making its recommendation to the PM. And it's curious because the Emergency Act has never before been invoked. Um, So what legal precedent, I mean, to my knowledge, there's no accepted legal precedent that broadens the definition of national security. I think the common thread that we're seeing sort of being presented here, I think that we're going to see in the last week, is that there has to be a modernization of the definition of national security threat threat. Of course, we know that when this definition was made back in the 80s, cell phones didn't exist, um, the internet didn't exist. If you wanted to make trouble, I think, in and in organize, you have to try to do that by way of landline and payphone. So it's a totally different um, sort, sort of dynamic that we're dealing with now, but I do wonder what the Department of Justice is going to have to say about it. We know that Attorney General uh, Lametti is going to be um, giving evidence tomorrow, and I wonder if w- what level of transparency we're going to see from the Department of Justice in broadening the definition of national security threat.
1: Okay, I want to jump to a few other issues, including um, sort of two political things that happened in Qatar yesterday. One of them involved the Iranian players refusing to sing their national anthem. Another involved a U.S. journalist who wore a rainbow shirt and was told he couldn't wear it inside one of the soccer stadiums. Uh, Pavan, very, very political gestures, and they are not rare in sport, but should people be checking their politics at the door?
2: Well, I think as a general rule, that's the principle. Um, but it's it's pretty tough to do with uh, with some of the things that are going on around the world. And we have to think back to FIFA. Like who <clears throat> these are the guys who are setting the rules beyond the host. FIFA does not exactly have clean hands. Uh, they are not a virtuous organization. These are folks who've been accused of. Uh, being swayed by you know giving receiving large amounts of money from various people who wanted to host these games these are not these are not innocent people here this is big business and they know it's bad for big business and so that's why they're putting their their rules up but let's let's understand too that these are very serious situations we've got you know uh, the large part of the world like Russia China Iran North Korea you know our Afghanistan are all living. Uh, under very diff- difficult circumstances, controlled by unilateral governments, and and so my heart goes out to these heroes, these Iranian, uh, you know, players who, who probably have put their lives at risk and have joined uh, so many others in Iran who are protesting, including small children who died. So I, I do, I do, I think it's appropriate in this
1: situation. Yeah, Robert Benzi, I have to say, you get a bit of a thrill watching people defy the mullahs, but then I wonder what's going to happen when these guys go home.
3: Yeah, the consequences will be very, very difficult. You know, uh, John, one of the most impressive people I've ever met was Dr. John Carlos, who was one of the U.S. sprinters in the 1968 Olympics who protested on the podium um, against the treatment of, of uh, black people in the, in the United States. And he paid a, a heavy price throughout his life for his protest, but you know what? He didn't regret it. And I think these Iranians are similarly brave. Worth noting, though, Sunira, that in
1: 2018, uh, an Iranian wrestler was actually sentenced to death and ultimately executed at the age of 27 for defying the government.
0: Well, the silent protest that these Iranian players, I think that there is, I think they quite literally feel there is no other choice. They're on the world stage right now. And to your point earlier, John, you know, I think sport now is all about the politic, and especially during a national anthem when uh, we saw, you know, Colin Kaepernick taking the knee uh, way back when and also reaping consequences, nothing of the likes of what these uh, Iranian uh, athletes might be facing now. But I think uh, sports, especially on the world stage, is certainly going to be a place like time and time again that we're going to see, uh, you know, on a world stage, the, the, the politicking of, you know, national defiance. And we're seeing it live now.
1: Um, and not a lot of time left on the clock, but Robert Benzi, I'll turn to you on the matter of a former soldier, a former major, as a matter of fact, who was in a gay nightclub in Colorado when a gunman came in with not one but two guns, and he subdued him and probably saved countless lives.
3: Yeah, Mr. Fierro is a hero, and it's a real, sh- a real shame, though, that in the United States... Increasingly, we are, people are forced to rely upon heroes to stop gunmen. I mean, how did this guy get an AR-15? I mean, he had a, a record already, and he was known to be a, a, a troubled individual, and the police were well aware of his activities. It's, it's unbelievable that people don't see the lunacy of U.S. gun laws. Yeah, and Pavan, people always
1: insist, you know, that the, the way to stop a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. The good guy didn't even have a gun.
2: <laughs> We're, yeah, exactly. We're, he uh, he did great work. What a hero! Incredible. And uh, no, I mean, obviously, we've got. We've got too many people down in the U.S. carrying guns and not knowing what's happening, and uh, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal failure of of the system once again. And in America, thank goodness that uh, they've managed to pass some legislation the first in, in many decades to improve the situation, and hopefully Biden will continue to push forward.
1: Thank you all. Good to have you, Sanira Chaudhry and Pavin Brach and Robert Benzi, and my thanks to Nick Marano and Joe Cristiano. Catch the Roundtable, round one at 745, round two at 845, weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.